Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. It's a private dinner at your home for 16 people prepared by a Michelin star New York City chef. Wow. Wait, do I even know 16 people I want to eat with? Hello and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. And I'm Chris Murphy. We are gathered here today to discuss the 10th episode of season two of the Max series and just like that. But first, let's do a quick recap of episode 10 entitled The Last Supper, part one, Appetizer. But you know what? I could have it at my old apartment, like a goodbye party. Oh, The Last Supper. Oh, well done. Carrie sold her apartment to Lizette and is moving into her new place with Aiden. Say our place again. Our place. This is going to be so great. Charlotte's family is complicating her work-life balance. I was a person before all of you. I am more than just your wife and your moms. You need to get that, okay? And get it together. Lisa Todd Wexley worries about her career now that she's pregnant. Oh my God, how am I going to do a 10-part series with a newborn? I will be missing deadlines. I will be pumping around the clock and I will be failing at both jobs. Seema can't believe what Ravi is doing to her. I told Ravi I love him. What is wrong with me? I've just thrown away 30 years of smart dating. Like that. Anthony credits generational differences for cock-blocking Giuseppe. I just found out I'm a dinosaur. A gay dinosaur. Practically extinct. Stanford writes to Carrie and asks her to talk to Anthony about his decision to stay in Japan. I tell Anthony myself, but I know he'd make fun of it. Which I just did. Which you just did. Miranda doesn't want to throw exes away anymore, so she shows up at Che's new comedy gig, which happens to focus on their relationship. I just got out of an eight-month relationship with a married straight white woman. 
I know. I know what you're thinking. Eight months. And Miranda is outraged. That's what I do. I get on stage and I make jokes about the bad things that happened in my life. I'm a bad thing that happened in your life? Carrie prepares for her last supper in her old apartment. But Aiden flies to Virginia because his son, Wyatt, is in the emergency room. And just like that, for the first time, I was worried. Hillary and Chris... I, I have a confession, and maybe this is just me, like Anthony, being you know an antiquated old man. <laughs> Were you equally as uncomfortable seeing Aiden cry as I was? <laughs> so deeply alarming and physically jarring. It looked uncomfortable for him, and it was equally uncomfortable for me. <laughs> yeah, the Dawson crying meme came to mind. I, I don't know if that's <laughs> that's also me dating myself, um, but the scrunchy face, the like. <laughs> I guess that this is the tension that we've been searching for in the uh, seemingly smooth Carrie Aiden relationship. Yeah, and it, it is an interesting tension. It's a more interesting one than I thought might arise. I thought that if there was going to be a problem with the new, you know, Carrie Aiden 3.0, it was going to be about them. But instead, it's about other aspects, huge aspects of their lives that have arisen since they were together the last time. And I don't know, that felt sort of like in conversation with other stuff in this episode, you know, like Miranda dealing with like, wait, do I toss my exes out? And Lisa Todd Wexley dealing with like pregnancy and Charlotte dealing with being independent. Like it kind of actually does make sense that that if this is the wedge that, you know, driving between Carrie and Aiden, that it's like life at this age intervening. Mm -hmm. And also, I guess, just like confusion about roles, which was like the other kind mm -hmm. of running theme between mm -hmm. the characters. Like what is Carrie's role as like a parental figure if she has one? What is like her role in Aiden's family if she is Aiden's girlfriend? Yeah. Like we were moving towards the end of like everything. Like there's a lot of finality with this episode in a way that I didn't expect in terms of, you know, uh, tying things up in a way that's like... The, well, we it's might... called The Last Supper. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't even get The Last Supper. That's going to be the next episode, but it feels that's like... That's true. It's The Last <laughs> Supper Part One, part which one. I guess does <laughs> <Last> undercut... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, undercuts the finality to some degree. It does undercut the finality, but it feels like, you mm. know, after the next episode, we might not have any more and just like that. And I do think they've now set it up that if Carrie and Aiden don't end up together and she ends up, you know, a single lady in the Hamptons with Seema or whatnot, um, it's more justified. It, like, I feel like, I, like even Carrie and Aiden shippers would have to understand if somehow they're not able to uh, make it all the way, given the Wyatt situation and given the family situation. Yeah, I can definitely see them winding up to a conclusion that's like, not right now, but maybe someday our time will be right. I feel like you guys are not reading context clues. Like, <laughs> since the beginning, Darren Starr and Michael Patrick King have actually blatantly said the end goal of this whole story is Carrie Bradshaw moves to Norfolk, Virginia. I mean, like, that's been, <laughs> that been patently obvious. <laughs> no, but speaking of telegraphed moving... telegraphed from yeah. the start, you're right. <laughs> right. But speaking of moving, like, is this yet another beautiful apartment that Carrie's never going to live in? <laughs> like we had the one with big from the movie right like at the first movie and now she's like making she's setting up house she sold her old place to lizette like but i don't know i get the feeling that maybe carrie is not long for that new digs on you know gramercy park well, lizette <laughs> might kind of deserve it i feel like she's just been like seema calling her the luckiest girl in new york over and over rings true 
Look who it is, Carrie Bradshaw and the luckiest girl in New York. Are you going to call me that every time you see me? For the price you got this apartment, you will never have any other name. Like, she is just, like, taking Carrie's stuff. She gets her apartment for, I don't know what she's paying, but I am dying to hear that figure. It seems like it is very little. Like, maybe... Maybe she deserves to have to try and struggle a little bit. She's been like anointed, the anointed the next Carrie Bradshaw, the next single girl. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> Carrie wanted to give it to a single girl. I don't know. I I feel like, and maybe I'm like leaning too much into the, and just like that, I felt worried for the first time. And I was like, okay, first time, that's sort of crazy. But I feel like it's Aiden's not going to move in to the apartment. Like he just can't leave his family. And she's going to be stuck with his apartment. And maybe it's... Her and Miranda, maybe something, maybe it's something like that. I feel like that's a theory that we've we've uh, posited before, and it just feels that seems like a happy ending. That does honestly. seem like a happy ending to me, and I totally think Hillary, you you might be spot on that it's not like a we're never going to be together, but you know, it's going to be a little slower than <laughs> than what has happened. I, yeah, Ian's going to say I have to go. My planet needs me, and he's going to fly <laughs> off into the sky. <laughs> I mean, Wyatt also needs you to just get it together, kid. Like, come on, kid. <laughs> you're you're yeah. 14 or whatever. Like, Acting out. Like, you know, just... I will say any any teenage boy who's like, I miss my dad, I feel a little disdain for. Maybe I shouldn't say that. <laughs> We're, this is a toxic masculinity podcast. We're pro. <laughs> uh, Absolutely love Yeah, exactly. Put, the, put that kid in some football cleats and uh, yeah. make a man out of him. Yeah. Toughen him up. Yeah. There's a great military school in, in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> that would solve all their problems, honestly. <laughs> Still watching from Vanity Fair. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Okay, so Carrie and Aiden, a little precarious. Um, I will say uh, the other big part of the episode, I think, is Miranda and Che meeting again um, and Miranda hearing uh, Che's new material, which, Oof. you know what? I did not see that coming when Miranda showed up for the comedy concert. I will give Anne just like that uh, some credit for a surprise. I did not think that Che was going to be so mean. She was very sexually adventurous. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wild, in fact. Yeah, she brought four people into our bed. Yeah. Me, her, her husband, and her son. 
Well, it's interesting because we, again, when we thought that Che's pilot was going to be sort of like the end of the series, we're heading toward that. I thought that, oh, there might be like, you know, like an annoying Miranda character if they had broken up or whatever. So we sort of got a version of that in Che using their relationship with Miranda as material, which while it was mean and not funny as like, you know, someone who does stand up comedy, you'd sort of grab from your own life. That is true to form. Oh, so you're taking, are you taking Che's I'm side taking, in that argument? I'm defending Che a little bit, which I do oh. think it was full villain edit. I do think they went full villain. I don't think the jokes were funny and I don't think they were mean, but it was very clear to me. It's like there are comedians who write for this show who've definitely been in the situation where they like have, you know, taken something from their personal life and it might be unsavory and not fair and not very nice, but that is like the genesis of their material. So I, I, I think the show was actually a little bit fair to Che and I'm going to be I'm going to stick up for Che a little bit in this situation even though the jokes were mean and not funny well yeah I thought the salient line was Che saying to Toby I'm so sick of having to explain myself Mm. and like that is part of their comedy I mean every joke pretty much we've seen from Che is about identity um, in a way that feels a little on the nose. I swear, in real life, queer comedy is very funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, in, in, the concerts are so good. Or yeah, the co- the concerts are amazing. Um, it's not just comedians constantly like saying LGBTQIA plus. <laughs> like they're not just slinging letters. Yeah, yeah I, I swear there, there are actually, there are some yeah, jokes. There are jokes. <laughs> um, but I think that it is an interesting thing to consider. Che being one of the new people, we are of course prone to side with Miranda because we've known her for 25 years. Um, But look, I'm 40 years old and I've been gay a long time. (laughs) I don't think I would date someone who is just figuring themselves out right now. Not because there's anything wrong with that process, but like it's a lot to take on as somebody who is a lot further along in that narrative. And I thought that, um, that Che addressing that and the show addressing that um, did make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I was I was confused as well. We were both kind of in the same place. Yeah. She was confused about everything. <laughs> and I was confused about why I was fucking her. One, what was Miranda thinking? Just showing up. That's like, <laughs> that was sort of a, a bold move. And having dated a comedian, you'd think she would sort of understand that she, you know, she, like, Miranda might be part of the joke at this point. And then I do think the show is a little bit hard on Miranda when Carrie and Miranda have that conversation on the phone and Carrie sort of is full of tough love and is like, I'm sorry if you'll feel uncomfortable, but you're here, you're alive, you're important to me, and you're coming. I was sort of surprised by how sort of like no nonsense kind of like toughen up. That's sort of a theme of the episode. Toughen up. Carrie was to Miranda. Yeah, I loved that moment from Carrie because it felt like vintage Carrie Bradshaw being a terrible friend. Yes. <laughs> so not what Miranda needed to like, hear. Listen, Miranda, I know your ex just <laughs> talked really intimately about your terrible breakup and like your talked about how shitty you here. are <laughs> and your ex-husband is coming too. Um, but guess what? It's my day. So you're going to be there. <laughs> And, and it's my day moving out of this apartment. She's not even leaving New York. Like, why would Miranda, why would Carrie care? She sees Miranda every day. I also felt like Steve was kind of shoehorned into this narrative in a way that Carrie was like, "It's that's not just what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Steve. And I, I that felt a little bit like maybe the writers not of the show having a little difficulty juggling that Miranda has these two big breakups to contend with. Um, that said, I thought the opening scene at Coney Island was beautifully filmed 
and looked great on my iPad when I watched it. <laughs> Steve, this place is amazing. It's gonna be. There's a lot to do. And this joint is fucking old. So it was Carrie, I just found out. That feels like a very natural evolution for Steve, right? He's always been a little Coney Island, right? He's talk. always been clams. Clams and beef. Clams and hot dogs. <laughs> he seems to have opened in the off season. I know that in the, this, the show's calendar, we actually are kind of approaching summer, right? But um, but everyone's still wearing coats. Yeah, yeah. I'm not quite <laughs> yeah. sure what we're kind of in like a perpetual, like almost spring. But I will say, re Aiden, um, it, Steve and Aiden, seeing them back together really did sort of bring me back. I was like, oh, okay. Aiden and Carrie really were a big thing back in the day. And Steve is a part of this. It, it made Aiden make more sense in the present day. Yeah, Steve day. and Aiden are independent friends. They're independent it's, friends. I, <laughs> yeah, I like when the show reminds us of that, that like people outside of the main characters have lives. Yeah. Steve and um, Aiden dated for years. Very amicable split. Yeah, Miranda could learn something from that. <laughs> well, didn't Aiden build the bar at... Um, Scout. Scout, oh, yeah. Scout, yeah. Scout, yeah. yeah. Going back to Miranda and Miranda's sort of now new high-powered job, when Miranda met that lovely British lady, did anybody get sort of like, ooh, flirty vibes? So you did a, a wonderful job today. Thank you. I hope I see you again, Miranda. Uh, you too, Joy. I totally thought, yeah, I, I also went there. Um, I do wonder if maybe that was going to happen. And then they were like, wait a minute, Miranda's got a lot of uh, loose ends to tie up. So maybe we're not going to introduce a new love interest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we'll see. I, I think it was, it's nice that at least Miranda is like killing it on the career track, you know, and sort of back where we originally knew her. But but more altruistically, she's not a corporate lawyer anymore. She's advocating for hopefully just causes at the UN and meeting cute British ladies. Um, Charlotte is also advancing in her career. She's selling paintings to Sam Smith. For $100,000, and don't you forget it. And when one of us sells a piece over 100000 we take them out to drinks. Oh, that is so sweet, but you know... Which, like, that feels <laughs> low, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, all the paintings on my walls are worth much more than that, obviously. <laughs> it was at least $100,000. Um, it was over $100,000. We don't know exactly how much it was. <laughs> I, That's true. I, I love the line that Charlotte you know, stumbling home drunk to her unfairly horrified family saying, I was a person before you all. Like, like just, just, just kind of being like, I used to exist without the context of you guys. And that felt like, and I'm probably, you know, assuming too much, but like that felt like at least one writer in this writer's room being like uh, having to express a deep feeling about themselves. Right. Oh, Totally. I think, yeah, I loved, I uh, uh, loved Charlotte's storyline. Um, I think that, you know, you can have like the, you can have the sad version of this story or you can have the fun version. And I'm glad that we're going with the fun version where it's not like, there's really no deep animosity between her and Harry. Like he's just kind of bumbling. He obviously should be able to, you know, do half of the parenting stuff um, without batting an eye and be able to pick up her slack. Um, and like can't and, you know, but I'm glad that the show is kind of taking that in like a lighthearted way rather than the way it was maybe last episode where his like weird jealousy about Victor Garber felt like totally out of left field. Um, it's nice to have the levity of her stumbling home drunk and like no one's actually mad, like nobody she didn't actually miss anything important. Like everybody in her family is used to leaning on her and now they can. They're figuring it out. And yeah, I I appreciated taking like a. Having that be like the funny uh, 
subplot. And it was rather really than funny. like something like, yeah, rather than something like plotting and heavy and like everybody being miserable. Yeah, I do. I think Kristen Davis was so funny. I am slaying at work. Are you wasted? I mean, if I am slaying isn't a meme by the time this episode comes out. Like the minute that hits the internet, I think we're going to see it a lot. Um, And she was really, really great comedic performance and really juggled the light and the dark of it so well. Yeah, it was fun. I was really worried. I mean, I guess the the phone call drama happened with Aiden. But I thought that like the kind of strenuous, like focusing on Charlotte's phone and, you know, whatever. I was like, well, what happened? Did Brady get Lily pregnant? Like, what? like I, thought, I thought there was going to be something dire. And I'm really generation. glad that it was just that it was just like they're trying to figure out how to be without this kind of, you know, ho- homemaker, essentially, who who kind of organized all their lives. And that felt like a very real kind of tension at this stage in their development. Yeah. Meanwhile, the the least Todd Wexley pregnancy plotline, um, I I was disappointed with the way that that wound up checking out this episode. Mm. I don't know how you guys felt. I think we got a little bit of a conversation about abortion, which we talked about last week. They did uh, not say the word abortion. Well, they did not I say the word. By. They absolutely didn't. I do think we sort of didn't have to really sort of wrestle with the implications because of what happened at the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, I thought also, I mean, Herbert said like, should we be having... The other discussion, it's your decision, Lisa. Whatever is best for you, that's what I want. I really appreciate you saying that. I thought about it, but I can't. I mean, I'm really grateful that I have that option, but... And, like, that felt like... I mean, I, I have never been in the position where I've had to have that conversation with a partner particularly but like i don't know like would have they would they have just said the word abortion or would they have talked around it maybe maybe because they're a certain age i i I don't know that that felt a little bit like they were addressing it but they were also skirting it at the same time somehow well yeah and i i felt the same way and then at the end for her you know now it seems that she's having a miscarriage and so there will not be a choice that needs to be made which like i mean you can you can say like at at advanced maternal age like it is more likely that that will happen so you know there's some reality behind that being the outcome but then it just kind of feels like you know you're a tv show like why even raise this possibility only to then say never mind and wave your hand and move on to the next thing you know like what what was the purpose of the pregnancy scare if it just means that now her life is going to go back exactly the way it was before yeah i think that's there. I was, I was sort of interested at the beginning of the episode when they had, you know, brunch, the four of them at brunch, and we have, were talking about all of these, like, Lisa Todd Wexley announcements, and, like, the pregnancy, it never comes up. So I was like, okay, that was, that was already, like, a little confusing, too, which I guess it's... Well, that felt like, yeah, that felt like a choice that I thought that that meant, like, that maybe she had, you know, terminated the pregnancy and was going to then tell Charlotte like in private later or something like the fact that she didn't bring it up obviously was because she was ambivalent um and then she expresses that later but yeah uh I I feel like there was a setup for something really interesting and thorny and you know even if she had decided to go through with the pregnancy and like had to just grapple with her ambivalence about having another kid like that is something that you don't really see in movies and tv either where you know maybe 
a mother is going to have a baby and doesn't actually know if she wants it or not like that. That's really interesting um, and an interesting tension. And I don't know, maybe maybe something heavier than you would want for from and just like that, which is maybe why they decided not to go that route. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just there were there were a lot of interesting possibilities. And then to have the pregnancy just go away on its own. I don't know. It feels it feels sort of just like dramatically like inert. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's it did feel a little bit like they had this great idea for this kind of button at the end of Lisa's story last episode where she's like, I'm pregnant. And then Herbert has to go out and give a speech. You know, that was like a fun idea. And then they didn't really know what to do with it because the implications of it are actually pretty serious and like pretty, you know, consequential. Um, and then they kind of, yeah, cheated a little bit. Yeah. And given the f- timing too, in terms of like, we've got one more episode left. It's like how far, I mean, how far could they really even take the storyline? It feels like they wouldn't maybe want to end the season. Well, maybe they would. Maybe that would have been a really interesting end of the season, having Lisa Todd Wexley really grapple with the decision and make and make a decision either way. I think the thing that was unsatisfying, because I do think they had the conversation, like we did see an ambivalent, you know, mom-to-be sort of grappling with her the stakes and what she wanted her life to look like. And I bet many women can totally relate to feeling like, oh, like they were ready to like, you know, they did the hard part with the kids and now they're ready to sort of strike out on their own. And I thought that was an interesting perspective, but. And interesting that like even somebody like her who was very rich and could afford all the help oh. that she wanted, like it's still, it's still, you know, you're still somebody's mother, even if you can't afford nannies. Like, yeah. Which goes back to Charlotte, but yeah, it feels like we didn't, we didn't get, uh, you know, an answer to the question that was posed. Totally. I'm going to apologize in advance for this, but um, you know who's never getting pregnant? Anthony. <laughs> for so many reasons. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like I should. OK, now I'm going to be quiet and let you two discuss that storyline. <laughs> Anthony never having even had this conversation, it sounded like, about like <laughs> roles and sex. I was like. That I don't believe. Not like, at come all. On. Come on. And he was like, famously he and in a committed relationship for a long time. Like well, maybe what wasn't the, ever there a, that question hanging in the air? I don't know. And he was famously it's horny possible he on the had show. it and we just it's possible we just never saw it, I guess. Yeah, but the way that it was sort of couched again, it was just such a such a, a ridiculous but kind of funny um scene that was a little, you know, unbelievable, especially thinking about like what Anthony was like, you know, back in the Sex in the City days. It was like he definitely would have thought that right. he would have, you know, at I, least... I also thought he, he was a little I don't know, in the original show he's a little bottom coded. Yeah, I mean both yeah. he and Stanford. <laughs> he seemed were. like a bottom, which was yeah. why they didn't that's why part of the reason why I didn't feel like it made sense that they got married, because I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. you're both giving two bottoms. There obviously there are other <laughs> other ways around that. Um but also it was just funny too with like the thing about Giuseppe is his big dick. What is this really about? It's about nine inches. No, it's about something else. Tell that to my sphincter. I will say kudos to the show for like we had a lingering shot of, the, you know, Maria Cantone's butt um, and, you know, some sexy moments um, in regards to that. But again, that felt like they brought up that's a hang up for him. Um, and then we didn't really get an answer to that. Although I was I will say when they sort of tried to equate um, Stanford becoming a monk with Anthony want, maybe trying bottoming. I was like, that is a little, maybe a bridge too far for me. Well, I guess that, you know, given Giuseppe's dimensions, that it kind of is equivalent 
to becoming a monk in Japan, right? <laughs> yeah. Like in terms of commitment. A, and, a spiritual experience. Oh, yeah. You need God. Is yeah. what, definitely. Uh, how do we think that functioned as a goodbye to, you know, Willie Garson and the character? Good for him. To Stanny. I mean, it was sweet. It was a sweet moment kind of peppered with some other things. Carrie gulping the drink down in one sip was interesting. Um, but I did like the kind of wistful to Stanny, you know, sending him off on his spiritual journey, both in the context of the show, but also in real life. Anthony sort of in that scene uh, sort of proved why I have never been a big fan of him. I thought he was like so like annoying about it, which I get he had to be sort of like the antagonist to Carrie, like hearing, you know, delivering the news and whatnot. And he was being very Anthony about the whole thing, wisecracking jokes. Um, so I, but I did really, I do think it was sort of a, a fitting send off. And that's another reason why I felt like the finality of this episode, it feels like, okay, we really sort of tied a bow on that in a way, which we obviously had to do because, you know, Willie Garson passed away. Um, but I, I didn't expect, I, I would have been totally fine ultimately with like, you know, them just getting divorced. I didn't know it was going to be such a moment really. And I didn't know we were going to come back to Anthony and Stanford. Yeah. I think that looking at this episode in the context of like starting to wrap things up, uh, some of the conclusions have been a little hasty. I'm thinking mostly about Seema in this episode, which was like, she doesn't even know she wants to date this Marvel director guy. And then all of a sudden cut to she's saying, I love you. And she's, you know, stressing about it being too soon. But it felt like, are they just kind of trying to like bring a Smith Jarrett in here at the very last minute (laughs) to sort of make sure that Seema is settled before this thing concludes? Yeah, I guess this episode is the episode that Seema sort of got Uh, you know, the short end of the stick in terms of all of the characters, because we spent sort of the least amount of time with her. I do think that's an interesting arc, sort of having someone who famously is trying to keep themselves at a distance from their romantic partners, you know, fall, fall in love or, you know, open themselves emotionally. Definitely felt rushed. Definitely feels like we're not going to be able to sort of really unpack and sort of uh, get into the nooks and crannies of what that experience is. But I will say, Sarita Chowdhury is such a good actress that I was so... I was like very much in it for the short amount of time that we spent on that journey with her. Are you going to be upset if we don't get to go to Andre Rashad's baby shower? <laughs> That's one place I don't want to go. That was that was <laughs> absolutely wild. Naya spending a thousand. Could you imagine spending a thousand dollars on your recently? I don't divorced? understand what she thinks. How she thinks that's proving a point. That's not doing anything but spending a thousand dollars. What are you doing? Ride your baby around in this bad boy, hipster Heidi. And every time you carry it up a flight of stairs, know it's from Andre Rashad's Columbia Law Professor ex-wife with plenty of disposable income. You should then. Damn right. Burning $1,000. You'd be better off burning it than doing that. Um, Though I will, that was another tough love moment with Naya and Miranda, honestly. I mean, I do feel like Naya was really mostly there to make Miranda realize, you know, her own issues with relationships and ending relationships. But I ooh, I hope, you know, obviously we're going to see everybody at the Last Supper, which now if you think about the poster for the show, that's completely what it is, right? That's like, that's what we had <laughs> um, 
Carrie in the middle with her big flower. It just it goes right into the promotional aspects of the show. Oh, wait. Well, now I have to look back at that image and see who's Judas. You have to look back. We have to see who's Judas. Um, <laughs> it's Wyatt. <laughs> it's it's got to be. But yeah, I hope that we... Judas on the phone. Dad, can you come get me? <laughs> that's how that works in the Bible, right? Yeah. Jesus. Uh, that's my understanding face, of it. It was a FaceTime, yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I do I do think the seating arrangement of the Last Supper. I only invited 15 guests to the Last Supper. I left a chair open in case a certain handsome man I love very much changes his mind at the last minute. It's really, I've now got my hopes up. If that empty chair does not have Samantha Jones' butt in it. <laughs> Chris, you know that she has one scene. I there do. Is, you know, I, I mean, I guess when she said that there's going to be when there's going to be an empty chair because Aiden's in Virginia, obviously one would hope that that would be filled by Samantha. I do think that that is is. Aiming too high, unfortunately. As much as it pains me to say, uh, that would be so, so thrilling. There is a way to, there has to be a way to shoot it where she could be at the table and it not look CGI and her not having to sort of sit near Carrie. I don't know. I just feel like why maybe they face Maybe they FaceTime Samantha in. Maybe they uh, like have a phone and she appears on the phone. So she, that's how she could record her part alone. Um, And they like put, they like put her on the chair. And she like says hi to everyone and then they turn the phone off. And then they turn the phone off. I just feel like that's too ultimately perfect. It's like that's too that's too much to not to have anyone else sitting in that chair other than Samantha Jones. But it's pro- it's you're right. It's probably not her. But that's where my heart that's where my heart lies. That's what I'm really like most excited to see for, you know, the f- final episode of the season. Yeah, Richard, who do you want to see sitting in the last chair? Uh, I mean, other than Samantha, um, I mean, I did like the evocation of Skipper. Remember Skipper? <laughs> Anytime there's a nod at the show's history, I do appreciate it. Yeah, I, w- I sort of wish that there were more of them. I understand you don't want to be just constantly referencing the past and they have all these other characters and there's not enough time. But yeah, no, having having Miranda remember Skipper felt like a, like a fun Easter egg. Yeah, especially because like in my own life, maybe I'm a nar- narcissist or something like I'm constantly referencing people from 15 years ago. You know? like, <laughs> it happens all the time. Um, before we, we close out, like we should maybe think if the next episode is, in fact, you know, Last Supper Part Two is, in fact, the end and we have Samantha coming back. Like, is there one thing we hope to see or not see? Like, I don't want Carrie to be like giving up another new apartment and you know, whatever, tumbling back into that kind of, like, woe of the, my relationship ended. Um, but I don't know. I like the Miranda moves in with Carrie thing. That That's that's what I hope happens next week. What about you guys? Yeah, I, like, as much as I have been sort of not pro Carrie and Aiden, I don't want the final episode of this season and potentially the series to be Carrie heartbroken that, you know, this her second big love has, you know gone away. So I do think there's a compromise in that, like, Carrie and Aiden can slow it down. And yeah, and maybe Miranda and Carrie can sort of move in together to this beautiful apartment. And maybe, just maybe, we can get a shot of Samantha sitting in the chair at dinner. Because on the show, they're still, like, okay. Like, remember, last the last episode of the first season, they were texting... So it's not like out of the realm of the possibility for the, you know, the dramatic tension for the actual fictional world of the show for Samantha to sort of pop up and be there at that table. 
So, but I'm, you know, I'm a dreamer, so. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. We already got Miranda screaming, not funny at Shay on the sidewalk. So I kind of feel like my bucket list (laughs) has been crossed off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Miranda seeing Shay and Steve again, that. That's, I mean, having all three of them in the same room is certainly going to uh, lead to. I don't know, some sort of confrontation, you would think. Um, that that will be a, a dramatic scene. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the three of them together. Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, the fabulous fashions and the not-so-glamorous looks in this episode of In Just Like That. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one-bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious, and this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will eat buttered pasta, Name your dinner emergency? We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then, I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now. All right, it's a time when we talk about clothes in our segment Killer Looks and Fashion Roadkill. Uh, we had a fair good amount, I think, of of interesting outfits in, in this episode. Um, my vote is for Miranda's multi-hued, mm. rainbow-ish coat uh, at the UN. Um, but I don't know, what, what else stood out to you guys? Yeah, well, can we talk about uh, Sam Smith's uh, gallery hopping outfit? Oh, yeah. That was, I think, <laughs> one of one of the standouts from the episode. Yeah, they look great. And speaking of the gallery outfit, I do love that um, Charlotte's been really into shoulders this whole season. She had a great that the dress she was wearing, uh, the black dress with sort of the epaulettes. Nice, nice shoulder stuff. I thought it was fun and feels like very Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and also a shout out to uh, Charlotte at brunch. That like fuchsia dress she had mm-hmm. a little belt. She looked great. She looked great. I don't know if that was a callback to the dress that made her so uncomfortable and feel like she had to spend two weeks drinking bone broth. But like <laughs> she she looked great and comfortable and everything, you know, uh, she has a, a lovely figure, as I feel like Charlotte herself would say. There's nothing <laughs> to be there's nothing to, to feel weird about. Um, I don't know. I thought that she looked really nice. She did. And the color blocking with Lisa Todd Wexley when they were having the conversation and what I think was the tin building, but I could be wrong, um, was really was really lovely. The pink versus the blue. It was, yeah, it was You nice. do have to believe that they would maybe coordinate their outfits <laughs> yeah. to oh, go 100%. out to lunch together. Oh, they definitely would. Yeah. And shout out also to Judy Che's coworker. I liked their orange fascinator. And, mm. uh, <laughs> and also support for Che. You shut yourself up. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Bomber jacket that Che was wearing, by the way, when they were doing stand-up, felt like a callback to the jacket that they didn't want to wear on 
the but pilot. That's a, But that's also a jacket that they wore, I think, at the first season. That jacket is like a, a, a staple of Che's outfit, I think. Okay. All right. Mind. So this this is a, a classic piece from their wardrobe. A classic piece. To me, I, that's what I think. I, I'm pretty sure yeah. I'm right Well, having that. them rewear things makes a lot of sense since we keep <laughs> hearing about how strapped for cash yeah. they are. Oh, my gosh. That does it for this episode of Still Watching. As ever, you can send us questions or comments at our email. That's stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and X at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. And you can find me at Christress. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer this week is Will Coley, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. The show was mixed by Ginta Smervia. Steven Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next Thursday for the final episode, and then just like that, season two, episode 11. Looking forward to seeing you then. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.